It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk and joining me as I have uh, two uh, fascinating guests on my show today uh, lined up for you, and we'll get to them in just a moment. Um, in case this is the first time you happen to be tuning in, I want to thank you all for being here and kind of give a little rundown on how this works. Um, it's really my kind of goal to bring on as many inspiring leaders and maybe uh, those who have incredible talent or experts in talent to really t- talk about their passion and the things that they're doing. Um, you know, as I have the privilege to meet these kind of people all the time, um, I want to make sure everyone else can learn from the things that I'm learning. And so this show is really designed to give you that opportunity to listen in on what we're talking about, kind of go into some of those topics that are really important right now with who's out there in that practice of talent. And hopefully we can give you something that you can use down the road, maybe tomorrow, maybe in an hour, maybe next week uh, in your own companies, in your own life. Uh, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can tune in if that's a good time for you to listen. But most of you actually access us after the fact, and that's through iTunes, or you can hear us on iHeartRadio. So over the last several years, we've had, oh, we average about 10,000 people come in and listen to a show every single day, and that amounts to millions of downloads. I'm really proud of that on all our different platforms. So big thank you to everyone who's a regular uh, and tuning in to hear um, somebody on the show. If you have a question for one of my two guests today, uh, you can submit them via Twitter. So just pop on Twitter, pop in your question, add the at peopleg2 in there. And if you can do the hashtag talent talk, that really helps us make sure we find it. We know you asked us a question. My producer, Mike, can try to feed me live right now any questions you might have. But if it's after the fact and you're listening to this after this show has been recorded live, feel free to go ahead and pop in that question anyways. And, you know, the guests and myself, we, we try to interact uh, through Twitter uh, ongoing throughout the week uh, with whatever may be happening. So I mentioned uh, two fascinating guests. Let me get to to who they are. Uh, My first guest will be Scott Alexander. He's the author of Lead, uh, excuse me, Black Belt. Um, And then Allison Hayden, the head of brand strategy for Glassdoor, you know, that that company you may have heard about that your employees are talking about you on. So Allison will join me on the second half of the show, but Let's go ahead and get to my, my first guest, uh, Scott Alexander. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Well, I'm doing great. Um, you know, Talk a little bit about yourself, and, of course, we're going to talk a little more about your book, uh, Lead Like a Black Belt. So uh, what's, your, what's kind of the, the initial summary here, what people should know about you? Um, so, uh, you know, again, so thanks for having me on. Um, I, I'm kind of... Uh, Doing what a lot of entrepreneurs do, I, I worked a, uh, I worked the first half of my career, if you will, in um, in really three different things. I was uh, in leadership positions, CEO, COO type positions. My my educational background is uh, is I started life as a psychologist, um, and then kind of the third piece of me that's important is that my entire adult life. So at eighteen, uh, I joined in with a martial arts. Um, school, and I have been studying and practicing martial arts basically my entire adult life. So we're in 33 and a half years now. Um, so when I left my last CEO job, I, you know, do what a lot of us do at that point in life, and uh, I, I kind of reevaluated what my what my personal principles were and what it is I had to bring uh, to bear and. And the outcome of that was the book, Lead Like a Black Belt, which is looking at leadership through through the prism of the, the lifetime spent in the martial arts. So 
So how's that for a quick uh, quick intro to what's important about me? Yeah, that's pretty good. So it gives us a, a clear understanding of where we're starting here. So what does it mean then to lead like a black belt? And when I think of black belts, you think of someone who's trained for a long time, who's highly skilled in something. But to also lead like a black belt, what does that mean? So I, I start with the the kind of the end state in mind, and, and that is, and what you just said is correct, right? So we think of a true martial artist as somebody that trains and probably you know, trains forever to the point where they, you know, they become a Mr. Miyagi or a, or a Yoda type of character. <clears throat> and, and that end state, um, that they, that they exist in is this idea of, uh, intentional instinct. So when you see two true martial artists, whether they're fighting or whether they're practicing something, there's this idea that they're doing it instinctually. But if you, if you peel that back through all those years of training, They've actually developed those certain instincts in a very intentional way. And so, for me, the path to leadership is that same process. I want to get to being uh, instinctual, but those instincts have been built intentionally through this, you know, really a lifelong commitment to a process. So, where martial artists look through a prism of self-defense, uh, a leader looks through a prism of empowerment of others. So they look like they're doing it instinctually, right? When we come across a really good leader, it doesn't look like they're, they're not having to consult the policy manual. They just kind of respond and react, and it seems instinctual. But the truth is they really have been committed to training to get to that, that, uh, that state of being. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, we talk a lot on this show about people having these kind of negative instinctual habits when it comes to leadership, whether it's yep. command and control or, you know, using the sort of the carrot and the stick principle, um, because it's kind of what we were grow we grow up with, or it's the simple thing yep. we know, even if it's wrong. So, it's really it's kind of fascinating to hear you talk about you know that that exercise of, of learning. What's the right way to be a leader? And to the point that it becomes instinctual and it feels like and looks like it's just your natural state. Um, Absolutely. And, and actually, interestingly like enough, so over, uh, overlaid on that, you know, that I talk about in the book is it is this transition from, from doing something to being something, right? So, so like, like, like any artist, right? There are people who learn how to play guitar, but there are people who are guitar players. When, when I started my journey in martial arts, I was, I was learning these new skills. Now they just kind of happen naturally and you transition. And when you work hard enough for long enough, you transition from doing something to being something. And so leaders can't turn it off at the end of the day, right? It's not, it's not just a position that they hold. It's, it's an actually a piece of their essence. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know that you had, uh, kind of do some research on you had mentioned that karate is the pursuit of perfection that is uh, ultimately futile. So kind of trying to yes. get perfection to itself is maybe futile. So can we extend that to anything? Can we extend that to leadership? I mean, is it more about the pursuit than the actual destination? That is it. You just hit it on the nail right on the head, right, Chris? So, so ultimately what we learn in martial arts and sometimes literally being beat on the head uh, is, is um, you know, I don't know if this is uniquely American, but, but it's certainly, uh, everyone I know. We get, we get, um, when you say the pursuit of perfection, the word we all attenuate to is perfection. And what you learn over time is, is that it's the pursuit that matters, right? So, so everyone comes in and starts off with this idea of, I want to be a black belt. Uh, and, and what you find, you, you know, you work really hard for six, seven, eight, nine years and, you finally earn that distinctive honor, and you and you realize, wow, there's so much more to learn. It's not what I thought it was going to be, right? And so, you by that point in time, you're committed to the pursuit of it, right? You're always pursuing perfection, but it's the pursuit that actually, you know, drives you. And so, leadership's the same way. You know, we start off, we want to be a manager, and then an upper manager, and a VP, and a COO, and a CEO, and you know, you get there and you realize, wow, there's there's still so much to learn. So, yes, I think it is It is ultimately training ourselves to be in pursuit. Um, it's not the perfection that drives us. It's the pursuit that drives us. 
so yeah, it applies to pretty much everything, but certainly uniquely to leadership. Yeah. So you know, if, if we look at that's maybe the right way to approach leadership, that we are in that pursuit to get better and a pursuit to 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 be that uh, as close as we can to that idea of perfection. Then maybe what are we what are we getting wrong about leadership? You know, what what are people spending time in that is probably not getting them what they think they're it's getting them, or is you know wasting yeah. their time. So it's funny. I go all over the country and I do these leadership workshops, and and I, I believe that uh, thus far, my experience when I walk into a room of people, it is a fairly universal experience that we've all run into somebody who was in a leadership position who was really, really bad at it. That seems to be a universal experience, and we all know what that looks like. We didn't need to be taught, you know, how to analyze that. But when we turn around and say, "Okay, then let's talk about what is a what, what makes a good leader." We, we go down these paths of things like, uh, you know, personality traits or, or certain principles or, or, or things like that. And it, and it really gets to a place where what we define is, is almost, you know, something that doesn't exist. It's like the perfect human being. Um, and so what we're getting wrong is this idea that it's, it's, a, it's a certain strategy or it's a certain set of skills that can be taught. We confuse things like success with leadership. Well, look, they've got a great company, so they must be a good leader. We confuse innovation with success, right? So you take a Steve Jobs. I don't know the guy. I only know all the stories. I know what I've read. And you look at it and you say, wow, here's a guy that was innovative. Absolutely. Successful. Yes. Rich. Sure. Was he a leader? Did he inspire people? Did he did he empower other people to follow their passions and to, to out of that empowerment, create new opportunities that nobody would have anticipated? Well, that, that, that pretty much is the answer. That's pretty much no. Um, he was a very controlling person. Um, and so you can be innovative and that's wonderful. You can be creative and that's wonderful. You can be a great manager and that's wonderful. You can be rich. But none of those things are necessarily leadership, but we confuse them sometimes. Does that make sense to you? Well, another great, yeah, it does. Another kind of way that I've talked about it before is that um, just because someone is an extrovert, you know, if we want to take it down to a personality level, doesn't make them a good leader yeah. because they're the loudest right. and the most animated. <laughs> doesn't mean <laughs> they're a good leader because a good leader is, is more than being a personality, I mean, that can be a benefit and in some circumstances and can be a benefit. Sometimes it can be a negative, style. yeah. Right, and I've, I've seen people who are introverted be passed up for leadership positions when they were far better leaders because they weren't loud and they weren't boisterous and they weren't going to stand up and, you know, rally a crowd of 5,000 people, you know. Right, in a certain way, right? So sometimes that's just a skill set. Skills can be taught. Right, absolutely, and those are, those other things we, we can uh, talk about. So, I, I know you talk about how leadership has a tremendous influence on the organization's ability to grow, maybe kind of face and overcome challenges, as well as continue to meet uh, you know, the mission that they have, you know, decided they're going to go after. Um, you know, ultimately, leadership creates and kind of maintains a culture. How do you find that that maybe talent uh, would ultimately grow into a leadership position? So. If you have a great person as a great um, starting point, how, how does that kind of happen? Do they grow into that? So it's funny. I have, I mean, I have you know story after story after story, and 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 that's a great question. So I'll give you. A, I, I was. I, I think a really easy, easy way to do this is tell you about maybe somebody that I've worked with in the past, right? So so interestingly enough, and I'm going to way oversimplify this, but. But we got to a place where, you know, they owned their own company and they were growing this company, you know, by leaps and bounds. And it was exactly that problem. How do I recruit the talent to, to get where I'm trying to go? And in the end, we delved into, you know, their, um, their, their personal journey around being an entrepreneur and running a company and why they were in business and what, what was the culture they're trying to create. And it was really interesting. We came up with four things that, was, that were really important to this person. Um, and, and, and I'm going to tell them to you because I, I, they stuck in my head uh, amongst all the people that I work with. So, so these were their four. Tell the truth, be nice, solve problems together, and pay it forward, right? So in the end, it wasn't about um, 
once you have a crystal clear vision of those things, and again, I'm oversimplifying here, but, but when you're evaluating a potential employee, when you're doing an interview, there are people who like to tell the truth. There are people who like to be nice. There are people who, instead of going off in isolation and solving a problem, they solve problems together. And there are people who, who really connect to the idea of paying it forward. All the rest of the stuff that you need to recruit somebody for can be trained to them. But if you have a person whose general response is to solve problems in isolation, it's not going to work. So the first step in recruiting the right people is to know yourself, right? Know your company. Know your company culture. And the great thing about that is, which I know wasn't really valid with your question, but but you take those four rules, that's also how you define the type of customer who's going to connect to your business. So then that has an impact on how you market. It has an impact on how you handle conflicts that involve a customer. It's how you decide what the customers are that you don't really want to serve. So I think the recruiting process to get to the right kinds of employees that fit with your culture really starts with knowing yourself. And there's no wrong answers, right? I mean, you're going to create a company that's different than the company I'm going to create. And the key there is that when we go to hire somebody, we want to make sure that uh, they're consistent with what it is we're trying to build and not just capable of making us money. Well, you know, speaking of what we're trying to build, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, you know, some organizations are trying to bring in people who can be leaders over and over again, um, that every person they bring in the door, they want potentially to be a leader, to have leadership qualities. And other organizations kind of take a more, take a different approach, which is some of our people are going to be leaders and some of our people are not. And we want to have a good balance of that um, sort of a, we need leaders and we need followers. We need people who are willing to go and do the work and, and follow somebody into battle, essentially. Well, what's sort of your thoughts on that? So, um Yes, I, I agree with everything you just said, and I would also add that um, so everyone has the potential to exist in that leadership uh, position, if you will. M- maybe not, okay, so position is the wrong word. So maybe not the leadership position, but to engage in a leadership culture. Okay, so, so what do I mean by that? Well, we have mission, we have vision, we have values, we have the cornerstones of our culture that we live by, and when we instill a leadership culture, of course, the, um, the currency that leaders use is empowerment. So so you think back to, and I'm, I'm going to go back to one of your questions of what else we get wrong about leadership. We also, when we talk about leadership, we only talk about, you know, the big people, the Bill Gates and the founding fathers and Mother Teresa. But the, the real leaders that had an impact on your life and my life was a second grade teacher or a little league coach or somebody that, as a result of you interacting with that person, you kind of change your trajectory. So from that standpoint, on a person-to-person ability to empower other people, within industry, we all have that potential to influence and impact and empower other people around us with whom we interact, whether they be customers, coworkers, people who are above us on the food chain or below us on the food chain. So, So I guess my answer to your question would be, Yes, some people want to move into those middle management, upper management, CEO-type positions, and some people don't really aren't interested in that. But everyone can engage in a leadership culture where we're invested in empowering each of us to get to the things that matter to each one of us. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on a little bit there with the idea of um, you're not the, not the largest leader, not the top of the food chain or the head of the totem pole, whatever you want to call it, but really you talk about middle managers, right, and the benefit they can have. Yeah. So what, what, what's the mindset of, of someone leading in that position, especially if they're trying to lead like a black belt, um, have, have expertise, have experience, but they're not I, – I know we're using a lot of uh, martial arts terms today, but they're, they're not yeah. the sensei, right, <laughs> but they are someone yeah. who has a lot to, to provide. So how, how do they do that? Um, so, so again, they do that by engaging in an empowerment culture. So, so um, sometimes, uh, I mean, there, there are some easy references, right? So sometimes after the coach on your Little League team gets done kind of yelling at the whole team, and you know you're the guy that made the mistake that cost them the game, and the third baseman walks over and goes, yeah, don't sweat it, it's all good. Right? That person just 
op- operated within a leadership realm, right? Because they came over to empower that person rather than denying them their opportunity for growth. In industry, the middle managers are the ones who, I talk about it in terms of an XY relationship, right? Everybody joins a company as an employee. There's an XY relationship. I will surrender X in exchange for Y. And that involves some level of my time, my expertise, my talent in exchange for money and leave time and freedom. Those middle managers really get to know all those people's XYs. And as they change, how do we adapt as a company within our culture so that ultimately if we empower people, um, we can create outcomes that we we didn't even think we could create because we can't think of anything, right, of everything, rather. If I'm the CEO of a company, I can't think of every little detail, but I can empower a whole army of people uh, in my organization who can not only create, who can not only make those details happen, but create new efficiencies, create new ideas, new innovations, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what the middle managers can do from within a leadership culture without necessarily being the, the top dog. Right, absolutely. And I'm sure you probably have some, some good stories. I wonder if maybe you have a good turnaround story where maybe when you've seen someone really deal with what was a mediocre leader or they're really struggling with some of that uh, difficulty and in, in being in that kind of uh, environment that you're talking about, how do they how do they transform that? Are there are there certain things? Is it just a matter of talking about it? Are there principles? I mean, how do you go from being okay at it to being a black belt at it? So obviously, the first step is there are no um, contrary to a lot of lot of literature that's out there and hanging around now. What we like to talk about with life hacks, uh, there there is <laughs> there is no life hack for this, right? I can't I can't um, I can't I can't help you get there in six months uh, or a year. You know, six months if it's something that's going to take two years to really to really create the experience level. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the things that we've already talked about, right? So I've, I've worked with, I, I mean, I work with a lot of people that come in uh, and they say, look, I just need you to help me figure out a way to hire the right people. If I could just hire the right people, and then if you can help me to write these protocols and these processes, because if I have the right protocols and the right processes and the right people, then I won't have to work so hard, right? And so the answer to that question isn't the right people and processes and protocols. Don't get me wrong, we have to focus on hiring practices and we have to focus on protocols and we have to have the right kinds of policies in a business. But ultimately, the way that you help that leader to turn around is to come back around to this idea that even with all of those things, my life is still going to be about working with people. It is the pursuit, it is not the end result, right? So there is no such thing as achieving perfection, there is only pursuing it. And so as they change that mindset, then instead of them being, it's it's a very Zen kind of a concept, instead of them being frustrated by the fact that they have employees who, who fall short, they start to accept the fact that no matter what, there's going to be times where things go wrong. And so instead of being frustrated by it, they just see it as part of the journey. They see it as part of the pursuit. And each time that that happens, there's an opportunity for learning. There's an opportunity for further growth not just for them, but for their employees as well. And so as they start to take advantage of those processes, that leader steps out of, I'm in the leadership position and I need the right processes and the right people, and they start to come around to, how do I take these people and create outcomes that none of us would anticipate? And then they become a leader, right? And through that process, they become a leader, and they start pursuing yeah, absolutely. And so it, it sounds like there's a, a lot of great stuff that I really suggest all of our listeners maybe check out in your book, How to Lead Like a Black Belt. Uh, but I'm I'm sure that when we're not talking about your book, maybe you also like to read other people's books. Is there one that maybe you're reading right now or have read recently that you might suggest that our listeners check out? You know, what's really funny about this question is, you know, we're all supposed to come up with some awesome, uh, you know, I get asked this question a lot. And I do. I read four or five books a month. Um, and, and if you'd asked me this question two weeks ago, I'd had some great answers for you, right? The four agreements, the power of Ted, then in the art of happiness, 
But I just recently went back to a book series that I read when I was in high school and college. It's called uh, The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, the Unbeliever. And it's kind of an epic uh, fantasy book, if you will. But it's from a psychologist's perspective, it's really interesting. It's about a a gentleman who is a leper who 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 goes through this epic journey um, uh, in, in, in the uh, what I want to say in the vein of like a middle earth type of thing um, and it explores this idea that uh, of his psychology of him doubting himself and how that ends up becoming powerful in the end but it's like a six book series so so I don't have a great but it, it is a great book and it is won a lot of awards but it's not the it's not the one that you know the the black belt uh, uh, coach guy is supposed to be reading, but but I do enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love all suggestions. We love to know what our guests are reading. We get um, just all sorts of different suggestions all the time, so that's why we love to ask the question because we Good. never know what we're going to get uh, out of the answers. <laughs> so uh, you've, you've talked about a lot of great things here today. Um, one thing I want to make sure we do ask you before we – we go here is how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in doing work with you or, or learning more about what, what you offer? Yes, absolutely. So obviously the easiest way is go out to my website. It's www.scottmalexander.com. Uh, you can check out the book on Amazon. Just go to Amazon and search Lead Like a Black Belt. Um, those are probably the easiest ways. And if you want to email me directly, it's scott at scottmalexander.com. Uh, that's, that's, those are the easiest ways to, to get a hold of me. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on our show today and providing our listeners with so much good information. Hopefully they'll check out your book, and we'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update. Chris, I'm always happy to do it. I appreciate you having me, and, and uh, yeah, let's, let's definitely stay in touch. Happy to happy to do whatever I can. Fantastic. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break here, and then we'll be right back with our second guest, Allison Hayden. <laughs> Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. Um, just had a great uh, first guest, Scott Alexander. Now we're going to go ahead and jump in with our second guest. But before I do that, I want to remind everyone, you can go to TownTalkRadio.com if you want to hear Past episodes, of course, you can find us on iTunes or hear us on iHeartRadio. All great uh, resources, and we'd love to have your questions, comments, and and uh, any suggestions you have uh, via Twitter. Just go to Twitter and send in whatever you want to to at PeopleG2 and use that hashtag Talent Talk, and we can interact with you there. But let's go ahead and bring in my second guest, Allison Hayden. She's the head of brand strategy for Glassdoor. Um, so, Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chris. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great for for a Tuesday, and uh, it's nice and sunny and beautiful here. I don't know where you're at, but we're doing great here in Southern California. So, well, uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your background and what you're currently doing at Glassdoor? Sure. Um, so, my role here at Glassdoor, I am the head of brand strategy and product marketing. Um, I spent the last 15 years or so in a variety of really sales and marketing leadership roles at fast-moving, hyper-growth companies. Um, I've got experience sort of managing the entire life cycle of brand and product marketing, both B2B and consumer, from the beginning of audience research and insights to high-level strategy and positioning to messaging and enablement and then uh, marketing and promotion. And really, it's great because working in the recruitment space, it's the same life cycle that employers now have to manage when it comes to really positioning their company to attract, hire, and retain talent. 
Um, my job at Glassdoor right now is to have a really broad knowledge of what's happening in recruiting, you know, what's changing, um, what keeps people in HR and recruiting up at night, um, and then help develop and market uh, products that uniquely connect employers with, you know, the 41 million informed candidates that we have visiting Glassdoor every month. So, uh, you know, I can, can already hear the kind of the passion in your voice that it sounds like with your role. So maybe can you talk about maybe what specifically, you know, some of the things that you're doing, whether it's a role-based um, thing or a company-based initiative, you know, where's some of that passion coming from uh, f- for your work there? Sure. Um, well, I spent, it's interesting because here at Glassdoor, I really spent the last two and a half years or so um, heading up brand strategy and working on the sort of consumer side of the business. Um, doing a ton of research and analysis around how job seekers today think, um, how their behavior has changed, how they are leveraging different uh, sites and different resources when they're making decisions about where to work. Um, and it's very cool because by doing all that work from the last two and a half years, I'm able to bring research around the job seeker today and bring that voice into conversations with employers. And I think it helps us uh, become better at, you know, developing products that are going to meet the needs of employers. The stuff I get most excited about that you can probably hear in my voice, you know, I've always been really, really passionate about the sort of combination of art and science that, that really come together in sales and marketing. Um, I've been always really passionate around understanding, you know, why people buy, the psychology of selling, um, the power of persuasive messaging, and, you know, I love how really powerful emotional storytelling um, can build strong connections with brands um, and help companies position their products in a way that, you know, is unique to their audience, um, you know, relevant and uh, sort of defensible in terms of where they sit in their market. And it's very awesome to watch how consumer marketing is, uh, you know, really moving into all of these concepts around employer branding that have come to the forefront over the past, you know, probably six to seven years uh, in the recruitment industry and recognizing that it's literally the same life cycle um, that an employer goes through is the same life cycle that a consumer packaged goods company goes through to understand who they are, um, understand um, their audience, understand what makes the products and services they sell unique, and then how do they, you know, market and promote those services. Companies are doing the same thing today. They have to really understand that the landscape has changed and what job seekers require um, and what they expect to find in their job search is way more complex and dynamic than it was 10 years ago when people were just looking at a job rec. And as a result, employers really have to think about the entire life cycle of their employer brand the same way that a consumer brand would think about something that they have to sell to, you know, us at the supermarket or us at the mall. Um, So I love being able to take my experience um, really going across a pretty broad spectrum um, and then applying it and helping educate employers on the importance of developing out this concept of an employer brand making sure that they are messaging um, who they are and what makes them as an employer unique, um, and then ensuring that they are putting that message um, in the places where today's job seekers are actually looking for it, which, as we know, is going way beyond um, just companies' career sites these days. Now, at the beginning of your response, I kind of jotted down a little note to remind myself to ask you about some of that research that you did and thought some of the characteristics of what you're seeing applicants and job seekers doing. And obviously, you can't give, I'm asking to give away any secret sauce here from the Glassdoor side, but was there anything about that research that you found fascinating and you might be able to share with us and how they're acting and how that might be different than with how they were acting 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Yeah, and I'm glad you – it's funny. I just actually had a meeting this morning um, because we just did a Harris poll of U.S. job seekers last week, um, and it's so interesting to see how the data has uh, really changed over the course of the last even, you know, four or five years since I've been here at Glassdoor. Um, We just got data back from Harris today that said that 93% of all job seekers today – and this is a U.S.-based survey – um, said that it's important to be thoughtful and informed about all aspects of a company prior to accepting a job offer. For example, culture, values, mission, business model, future plans, etc. So it's funny, you know, 
I think we all recognize that companies need to think about, you know, what are your values, what's your culture, what do you stand for? Um, but recognizing that it really, again, has to be a fully fleshed out brand strategy that employers need to think about um, because this is what, you know, more than nine out of 10 of job seekers today are expecting to find and sort of require this information um, in order for them to make a decision about where to work. Um, the other thing that we found is that, you know, 74%, so three out of four um, of those users that are actually on Glassdoor are more likely to apply to a job if the employer is actively managing their employer brand. For example, if they are responding to reviews on Glassdoor, if they are updating their company profile on Glassdoor with photos or videos or, or talking about why people should work for them, sharing updates on the culture and the work environment. Um, so, you know, we're watching these trends and we're recognizing again that you know, this is the kind of information now that, that today's job seekers expect. And obviously, you know, how we're built here at Glassdoor, um, you know, as a job site that gives job seekers all the jobs plus all this unique insider information on what it's really like to work somewhere, um, you know, the reason why we've grown so quickly, I think, seekers to get this information um, that they're requiring in their search in one spot. Yeah, and you know, it kind of makes me think about. Um, we had a guest on last week, uh, Steve Canal, who does a lot of the entrepreneurial stuff with Miller Coors, and he talked about corporate environments really trying to have an entrepreneurial mindset. And what you're kind of describing to me sounds like this: the meeting of the entrepreneurial minds here, right? You have job seekers which can have a far, far bigger control over their experience while they're in transition or while they're looking to change jobs. You have employers that can take on that kind of an entrepreneurial mindset as it goes to marketing themselves and talking about their message. And, and that's all happening on your site um, and, and across the web uh, in many different ways. But it's really kind of changing it from a uh, how we view it in the sense of, you know, people can really go out and market themselves and talk about their message and can be far more competitive in that space, um, even if maybe they can't be quite as competitive from a compensation standpoint or a location standpoint, but they can go out there and compete on different factors. Is that, is that kind of what you're seeing as well? Yeah. I mean, what we're finding, and you're hearing it all over in the marketplace, right? Everyone's talking about the right fit. They're talking about quality candidates. Really, the way we think about it at Glassdoor, we think we call them informed candidates. And the only way for someone to become truly informed is to get the information that they need here at Glassdoor. Um, I think, to your point, the candidates, just like consumers today, with this age of information transparency, you know, I just moved uh, from Marin County here in Northern California into the city a couple days ago, and I wanted to find a new place to go eat. What did I do? I went on Yelp, and I looked at reviews. Um, I needed to buy a, uh, a handheld vacuum because I have a dog, and she sheds a lot. And what did I do? I went on Amazon, and I looked at the reviews. Um, the way that we as consumers make decisions now have changed. Um, and as a result, as consumers, we are more in the driver's seat than companies and brands were 10 years ago because we have all this information at our fingertips. Similarly, candidates also now are in the driver's seat because they have access to all of this information about companies as well. The emergence of places like Glassdoor, the emergence of companies beginning to think about their own employer brand and how to craft their message and their position as it relates to employees and candidates. Um, it's very, very similar. But I agree from a sort of entrepreneurial mindset, it can give, I think, people who work in HR and recruiting an opportunity to own a story and almost own a sub-brand in a way that 10 years ago their job might have been more tactical. Now they're able to be a little bit more strategic from a creative marketing perspective. And I think that that's something that people in HR and recruiting have been really excited about. You know, one thing I've always been fascinated to know about Glassdoor, maybe maybe you know or you don't know. I mean, so let's take an app, typically kind of reset or update the the ratings as the app were to upgrade and to change, right? So maybe the first time out, the app got terrible reviews, but if they've released a new version that kind of fixed all the problems, that that mm -hmm. rating system kind of gets updated based on the version. 
Um, so what happens when, uh, you know, a company may be struggling and maybe they've gotten rid of their management team, they've gotten rid of their CEO, and they've brought in new people? Is it a matter of an aggregate? It takes time for that to come back? Or is there a, is there a reset, let's say, uh, on, on Glassdoor in those situations? How, how does that kind of work for, for people looking in there? That's a good question. So um, based on how Glassdoor works, you know, um, we've got millions of pieces of content on over, I think, 700,000 different companies worldwide right now. So we have content in the form of, you know, ratings, reviews, people talking about whether or not they think the financial outlook of the company is positive or negative, whether or not they'd recommend the company to a friend, CEO ratings, benefits. We have so many different pieces of content right now um, that they're coming in. I think it's one every six seconds. Um, as a result, um, no, we don't have like a, a reset button or, um, you know, an every 24 hour where things refresh. Uh, the algorithm that's proprietary um, essentially uh, updates using the data in real time. Um, the thing that's different, which is great because you don't want to have to wait or wonder, um, you want to be able to take a look at the content that's coming in and see that brand perception and how that brand's being measured on Glassdoor, you want to see that be as dynamic as the fresh content that's coming in rating the company. Um, the one thing that is unique is, you know, if we do have a change in executive leadership. So one of the key original pieces of uh, user-generated content that we had here at Glassdoor was the CEO rating. And what we found after the first couple of years, and we were founded back in 2007, was, oh gosh, what do we do when we have a company who had, you know, Dell had uh, 1,500 employees or Apple had, um, you know, a 1,000 uh, reviews at one point. Now I think they have close to 10,000 on Glassdoor. Um, what do we do when, obviously, the uh, CEO uh, has changed? So that's the only period of time in which we sort of reset the ratings uh, specific to CEOs. Um when we have a new person that comes in so that they don't essentially inherit the previous reviews from the prior CEO. Um, but with regard to all of the other different types of content that we have, um, the algorithm essentially changes dynamically based on the pace at which uh, new ratings and reviews are coming in. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you kind of giving that overview because that is good to know and it certainly helps and we don't want to inherit you don't want a new CEO who's come in who's doing a great job to inherit maybe a bad CEO's data, and maybe vice versa. You don't want a bad CEO to come in and inherit a good CEO who decided to leave um, yep. and, and make it look like it's better than they are. So uh, that's probably great uh, information for job seekers. Um, for employers, I know what- too, one, uh, I was just going to say one thing that's also really interesting that we have added in, again, trying to change our products based on what employers are telling us they need. And a lot of companies that we work with, and we work with over, I think, 6,000 or 7,000 now, um, said that they wanted to be able to understand the trend data around some of those different metrics and see how it may have changed over time um, instead of seeing what you do now, which is you'd go online um, as a job seeker um, and you'd be able to see you know, just kind of the real-time current snapshot. Um, so what we do in the employer center for, uh, for companies is we um, give them essentially a different types of reports that enable them to track things like not only just the overall rating of the company, but the CEO rating, but, you know, the rating for work-life balance, the rating for, um, you know, outlook on the company, um, whether or not, uh, you know, uh, they believe that the company has a negative or positive outlook. Um, that way, companies can see the trends over time instead of just the snapshot right now. And for those companies that have a ton of reviews, the larger companies, um, they're actually able to look at the data based on country and then even down based on uh, location. So if they have a headquarters in uh, L.A. and New York and they really want to understand sort of employee sentiment and how they differ on each coast, they're able to kind of slice and dice the data in really easy-to-view reports um, that enable them to track the ratings trends and the data over time um, by location, which we found for some of the large global multinationals that we work with has been really, really helpful because you might be doing uh, fantastic in London, um, but your office in Austin um, may, you know, be uh, kind of at a, at a breaking point with regard to employee engagement. Now, does that work that way as well for employees? So if I'm interested in working for Microsoft, but um, Microsoft U.S. might be different than Microsoft in the Philippines, right? Can can I yep. take that down to a granular level as well? 
Yeah, so it depends, and that's like I, I think that's a challenge. Any any company that has uh, operations in multiple different countries, um, there's always the challenge of figuring out how to structure them. Same thing with you know you have kind of overarching uh, holding companies like Yum Brands, and then you have different consumer brands like you know Pizza Hut and Taco Bell that might sit underneath them. Um, you're able to go on Glassdoor. You're able to search by company name. You're also able to then search by location. So depending on how the company is structured, that's how you're able to look. Um, the nice thing is, though, is that when you do go to any company, if you go to their primary company page, um, you're able to take a look at reviews, and you're able to essentially um, be able to filter it by job title, and you can even do it by location as well. So you could go to Microsoft. There may only be one Microsoft page, depending on how they're structured um, internationally. But within that one company profile for Microsoft, you're going to be able to take a look at the ratings, um, you know, by city or even by country or even down to by job title, um, which is, I think, something that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Uh, you know, something else that's really cool is I know you were named uh, by Recruiting Daily as one of the top women in HR tech. So congratulations on that recognition. Thank you. Um, you, you know, what does that mean for you? And, wh- and what do you think it, you know, lists like that does for other women in leadership that are maybe striving to be recognized or as, as companies, we want we want those kind of recognitions to happen. So maybe you can get a, can, can give me your philosophical broad view on, on what you think this means. Yeah. Um, well, I was honored to be to be named, uh, you know, onto that list, especially when you look at some of the other people who have been in this space. Um, for way longer than I have. Um, I, I've really enjoyed the last five years of learning everything there is to know about, again, kind of what pe- what keeps people in HR and recruiting up at night and um, spent a lot of time, you know, founding and producing the Glassdoor Summit for three years that we hosted that um, and just spending a lot of time with companies of all different sizes trying to understand um, why it's so hard uh, to find the right people, not just to fill the recs, but the right people who are going to stay at the company and grow. What I think about when I think about being named to a list like that, I think it's always fantastic to recognize anyone who is, you know, seen as a leader in their space, mainly because I think it helps um, more junior employees, either at your same company or within your space, you know, recognize that there's a career path for them and there's things that they can shoot and aspire to. Um, when we look at a lot of the data around Again, kind of what people care about today, what job seekers care about today, um, career growth, professional advancement. Um, that's one of the top things, and it's not just a millennial thing that a lot of people think. Um, but it's something that, you know, people are really focused on, and they want to know, where can I go? What does it look like? Um, show me show me what a leader in my space looks like and, and tell me that there are ways for me to grow and develop so I can get there. Um, so in my experience, anytime that you can, you know, highlight people who have been, you know, seen as leaders in their space, um, it helps, I think, inspire and motivate the people who um, have a bit less time under their belts. Um, and since I know intimately that that's really important today um, to job seekers, um, it's something that I think is just uh, fantastic and um you know, sort of the, the more lists and the more, I also love to see profiles, you know, anytime that you can, myself, uh, personally, anytime I can learn a little bit more about um, people that I admire and understand their path um, and find some of the commonality in different people that I respect and look up to, um, I think that's great as well. So lists, profiles, uh, you know, I love to learn. I love to take it all in. So um, anything that, that we can do to help other people um, kind of reach for the stars, I think is great. Well, I'm glad you got the recognition you deserved, and uh, congratulations again for being on the list. Uh, we're almost out of time, so I want to make sure we ask our kind of last two common questions that we always seem to hit. And the first one is, is um, what are you reading right now, and can you tell us about that? Oh, sure. Um, let's see. I just, I just finished up The Goldfinch, which was a Pulitzer Prize winner, I think, from a couple years ago. It was really long, but it was fantastic. Um, and I just, I have two right now that I just started, um, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. I, I think he's great. I love sort of the life hacking uh, mentality and, you know, the sort of human experiment that he represents. Um, and then I'm also rereading uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which was one of my favorite books. I think it was in high school. I haven't read it in a long time, but um, it's, it's sort of like a, 
you know, what's my purpose in life? What am I doing here? Told through the story of a father-son motorcycle trip across the country. Um, those two books that I have, you know, uh, one on my nightstand, one on my coffee table right now, um, are sort of me in a nutshell. You know, I'm figuring out how to have a, a sort of rich, big, colorful life, um, but one that's, you know, rooted in, in sort of meaning and, and purpose. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are, those are great time. books, and uh, Tim Ferriss one it's on my nightstand. It's sort of the called the cookbook for entrepreneurial life hacking. I mean, it's you yeah, don't read it from go. start to finish. You just kind of go in and grab a, a section. Those are maybe five to twenty pages or something for each person that you kind of snackable content is what we call it. Snackable yeah, content. Um, yeah, and it's great. So especially if you don't like reading an entire giant book, it's kind of the perfect thing if you just want to. A little mini story. So, um, you know, the final question is how can people get a hold of you or learn more about uh, Glassdoor? What's the best way for them to, to dig in deeper if they want to know more about you? Yeah, I mean, the, the best thing, if they want to learn about Glassdoor, you know, go to glassdoor.com. Um, if you are an employer and you need to hire informed candidates that you feel like are going to be the best fit for your company, um, you know, you should go to glassdoor.com backslash employers. Um, if you'd like to reach out to me directly, you know, you can find me on Twitter at Allison Haddon, um, and that's Allison with one L. I'm also on LinkedIn, um, so feel free to shoot me a message. I'm always happy to engage with people and take their feedback and, uh, and learn from them as well. So, yeah, don't hesitate to, to reach out. Allison, thanks so much for being on the show today and uh, being our guest, and uh, love to have you come back. Tell us more about what Glassdoor is doing, and as you guys are finding more great discoveries out, or maybe we talk some more about the summit. That sounded really fascinating as well. Love to have you come back and, and do that. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much for the invite, Chris. Uh, it was a fun uh, fun combo. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening today, and uh, to both my guests for being so uh, such fantastic guests and really kind of giving us some great information that will ho- hopefully impact our own career in a positive way. Uh, next week, uh, again, we will have uh, Tom Becker on, the CEO and founder of Telenium, and then Kim Shepard, who is a good friend of mine and was my very first guest ever on the show. She'll be back uh, to uh, hopefully give us an update on what she's doing. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.